The date is May 10th, 1996, and we're watching Twister. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. Welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the Dustin Davis to my Robert Rabbit Nurick. <laughs> Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. I know, they're not exactly the names that roll off the tongue because <laughs> there were very few names in this movie that I actually remembered. Yeah. But that's Philip Seymour Hoffman and Alan Rock. Okay. So I, I went on based on the status of the actors and how much I like the actors that those are the names I chose. Fair enough. So this week, we're looking back at May 1996 when the movies in theaters were Barb Wire, The Craft, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, The Pallbearer, and, of course, our movie for today, Twister, which earned $495.7 million on a $92 million budget. I, I would like to mention that those are other movies in theaters, but one that came out just four days earlier, which, as far as I can tell, is direct-to-video, is one called Tornado, <laughs> which stars Bruce Campbell and Ernie Hudson. Here's the tagline, Hell Hath No Fury... Like a twister. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a precursor to Sharknado almost. Yeah, but I just think about this is, a, you know, that, that time when a lot of movies would release an Armageddon ripoff yeah. straight to video. I remember I worked at the video store when War of the Worlds first came out and there was a direct-to-video War of the Worlds. And everyone would grab it thinking, oh my god, I got the last copy of War of the Worlds, like when it was first popular. And, and they ended yeah. up with that piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> that always happens anytime a hercules movie is released i've noticed yeah. there's like the one that goes to theaters but then there's 40 other direct-to-dvd <laughs> offsprings that you look up with like b-list wwe superstars or yeah yeah but as always this movie will be filled with spoilers so if you don't want to get sucked into the suck zone of spoilers <laughs> then please hit pause go watch it and then come back and hear what we have to say so the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, well, I do once again have multiple. Number one, nature sucks. Nature sucks. That, that's clever. I like a good pun. Yeah. Do you think nature blows would have been better, though? Well, see, I kind of came, I was kind of thinking about, maybe I was thinking about it too much while I was writing my 60-second synopsis, but I was like, what is a tornado, like, does a tornado actually suck that much? Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure. Even in the movie, there are some things that we'll talk about later. But I was like, do tornadoes really suck uh -huh. things up that much? Or do they blow? Yeah. Because I always thought they were more of a blowing thing. But the conventional tornado, anytime it's in a movie, is they're very much a suction-based yeah. weather event. Okay, well, tagline number two, go for a ride you'll never forget. Nah, that sounds more like... An amusement park take line. <laughs> that sounds like something for, like, Six Flags. Oh, that that must be what they use at Universal Studios, though. Oh, yeah. When they had the Twister thing there, yeah. And number three, if you hear it, it's already too late. I don't know. That, sound, that again, sounds more like, <laughs> like uh, something to do with an animal. 
<laughs> like I was thinking, it reminds me of Jurassic Park, like with the uh, that weird dinosaur that gets Newman. Yeah, yeah, or or maybe like uh, the Quiet Place could use that tagline. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Number four, I've got another essay like we did back in our Breakfast Club a- a- uh, episode last week. There is a mystery, elusive, unpredictable, violent. It terrifies most scientists, but for a new breed, the challenge is saving lives. The research is deadly. The laboratory is nature itself. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. Okay. (laughs) Or finally, I have another one of those, like, two-part taglines, one above the title, one below the title. So above the title, it says, don't breathe, don't look back, and then below, the dark side of nature. Sure. Sure, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how good I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that may not be the best description of this movie, so let's go to Colin and do a 60-second synopsis. All right. Retired storm chaser turned weatherman Bill Harding travels to rural Oklahoma with his fiance in order to finalize his divorce from his former beau and storm-chasing partner, Joe. When he arrives... Bill finds Joe and her team have managed to bring one of his old ideas to life, the Dorothy, a scientific capsule filled with sensors that will allow them to unlock the secrets of Twisters and create a warning system that will help Joe avenge her father's death at the hands of a tornado 27 years before. <laughs> they, say, they say you can take the man out of the storm, but you can't take the storm out of the man. And Bill soon <laughs> finds himself back in the saddle, trying to drop a Dorothy in the path of a tornado before his rival Jonas Miller deploys his own version and takes all the glory. Will Bill and Joe be able to successfully send a Dorothy to Oz, or will they be swept away into the suck zone? Let's find out on another episode of I Used to Like This One. <laughs> nice. I did read that one of the taglines was simply, It sucks. But they decided against it because figured it it worked to the advantage of any critics or audience members that hated it. (laughs) So this week, we have another by request episode from one of our listeners. And so this week, our listener request comes from Cameron J. And he requested that we do Twister this week. So I know that this is one of those that for me, when I look back at my memory of Twister, I remember the movie, but I forgot so much of the movie. Like, this is one of those ones that I just, I only vaguely remembered until I actually started watching it. Like, Carrie Elways, I completely forgot that he was in this movie. And, yeah. and like, the whole villain storyline or rival, rival Storm Chaser storyline, I forgot about But, I mean, it was exciting back then, but it's a mindless movie. And, I mean, there is still definitely some excitement to it for me now on this watch. But what about you, Colin? What is your history with Twister? I have literally no history with Twister other than I I just remember people talking about the cow scene a lot. I remember, And I remember seeing the trailer for it when I was younger, and specifically just that scene. But I don't actually remember... I never watched it. I had never watched it until I watched it this week. Okay. So yeah, I was kind of legitimately just going into it blind without really any reference point at all. Yeah. It's not the movie that I thought it would be. Yeah. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I remember going to Universal Studios 20 years ago when I was younger and how cool the Twister 
exhibit or twister show twister ride whatever you want to call it because it wasn't really a ride but i remember how exciting that was and the cool you know showing you the fury of nature live it was pretty exciting i don't know if that one's actually still at universal but i i think i have more memories of the live show than i do of the movie itself wait there's a there's a twister like, at universal oh, you're yeah talking about at universal studios <laughs> okay but yeah, yeah. let's jump into twister uh interestingly i read that this is the first movie released on dvd and the last movie released on hd dvd so interesting so twister yeah just bookended the dvd hd dvd life there yeah <laughs> it's directed by yon de bont who is the director of speed i read that this one was one that they tried to get Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, Tim Burton, John Carpenter, James Cameron, and John Batum to direct. And so he was like their eighth choice. And some of those names, it's just like, what would a Tim Burton twister look like? <laughs> a lot more miniatures, I'm sure, right? Yeah, <laughs> it would have been all on soundstage somehow. Yeah. It would have... Yeah, I can't imagine this movie with the Tim Burton aesthetic. It would have had to just be a completely outside of what we know of Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. But it probably would have had Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> there is a very good chance, yeah. Johnny Depp and Elena Bonham Carter are the two leads in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's produced by Michael Crichton, Ian Bryce, and Kathleen Kennedy. And it's written by Michael Crichton and Anne-Marie Martin. This is her only writing credit. She actually has... 30 acting credits days of our lives she has a few hundred episodes of that but she's michael Crichton's wife hmm. yeah michael Crichton. michael Crichton is jurassic park right he wrote that yeah jurassic park okay. congo yeah i i did also read that joss whedon and steven zalian were brought in as uncredited script doctors at a hundred grand a week as their fee so there's a bit of a ghostwriter on this too that's a pretty good rate <laughs> yeah I'd take it. So we start the movie with a flashback to June 1969 and the tragic backstory of Joe Harding. I I, I definitely enjoyed how you said in your 60-second synopsis that this is a revenge story. It totally is. <laughs> and we see why right here. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really funny in researching. Well, not I shouldn't say funny. It's more just interesting in researching this movie and looking at the Wikipedia page, I don't know if you if you read the plot on the Wikipedia page, but no, no, I didn't. It's it's the plot is very much written as if Joe is the a protagonist. Yeah. But when I when I watch the movie, I feel like it's clearly Bill. Yeah. But then I was but then I was wondering, is that just my like sexist brain picking up on something that's not there? Yeah. But it is also possible that they tried to make her the hero, and it backfired. Yeah. And that whereas, whereas something like Alien, you look at the original Alien, and Sigourney Weaver wasn't out front in the first Alien, mm -hmm. but she ended up being the big survivor at the end, and so she's the hero of the story. And so that's that almost feels like one where it was done in reverse, yeah. where someone that wasn't meant to be the protagonist becomes the protagonist. So it's almost like they wrote it for her to be the protagonist, and then Bill just kind of of outshines them most of the time yeah it made, it made me want to watch the movie again because i feel like if you if you were to watch it and you really focused on joe as the protagonist of the movie it's almost it's kind of a completely different movie yeah there's a little bit more like yeah there is more of that weird revenge story where it's almost like she's 
literally trying to track down the tornado that yeah. killed her father. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the same one even. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I did I did love that scene. I love the scene when the dad is holding down the storm door. Yeah. Even though I'm just kind of and th- this is where the suction thing gets in. It takes him, but it doesn't seem like there's that big of a gap between him and then Joe and her mom. Yeah. So why why is the vacuum power not such that it just takes the lot of them? Yeah. If well, if the whole door and everything is gone too. Well, yeah, and that's one of the things that I started thinking is you why are you holding down this cellar door when you should just go hide in the corner with them because clearly you are safe in this storm cellar as long as you get back into the corner. Yeah. <laughs> So I yeah, and then and then like you see so many more uses of the suction later on, and wonder well how is that possible too? So, mm-hmm. but I do love in the opening scene though the emphasis they put on the dog safety. It's yeah. it's like Boomer back in our Independence Day episode. Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> yeah. And, and and this isn't the only one because it's like Meg's dog. Later they make sure that you show she was safe. That the two horses that are running in that final storm, you know, they make sure that you. They're galloping around all safe. Yeah. Like the only animal that is like really put into any kind of danger is the cow flying around, and he looks like he's having a ball. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I also love how the dog, though, in the cellar is just—he looks—he's just sitting there, so content. Yeah. While he watches Joe's dad get sucked up into oblivion. I mean, it's it's outstanding. <laughs> yeah, that, it, was, it was definitely a, an awesome way to open a movie. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, and I read a bunch of things saying that they wanted to do that as, like, periodic flashbacks throughout the movie. Hmm. But instead, I think it was Steven Spielberg that said, no, you should just do that as the opening to the movie. Yeah. And so they ended up doing that. And I think it's so much more to it because then you can watch the whole movie and understand Joe's psychology instead of like them feeding you pieces every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause the only real revelation that you end up having with Joe is when you find out that it was specifically an F five that took her father. Yeah. And I love, I love when that reveal happens because it's Melissa going, well, is there such thing as an F5? And everyone around the table, it's like, it just stunned looks on their face, you know, (laughs) (laughs) utensils clatter to the plates, you know, because it's like, (gasps) it's like, it's like they spoke Voldemort's name in the middle of Diagon Alley. It's like, everyone is so shocked that how, how could you possibly think of saying the word F5 with Joe in the house? (laughs) But yeah, so we're in our present day. Let's let's first talk about our engaged couple that shouldn't be there. Bill Harding, the human barometer, and Dr. Melissa Reeves, and they're played by Bill Paxton and Jamie Gertz, who we talked about in Lost Boys. I read that her first acting performance was as Dorothy in a school production of Wizard of Oz. Oh, nice. They, they really like leaning into the Wizard of Oz stuff in this movie, that's for sure. It's like, I guess that's the only other movie out there that has tornadoes as its focus, until Sharknado existed. And, I mean, there's that Bruce Campbell movie I talked about up at the top. I mean, there's that. Yeah. That must be legendary. I, f- I feel like this movie has, uh, they have, like, a lot of pop culture references. I only p- I only really picked up on two when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is saying, hey, you guys, over the radio to show back our you know, number one episode, the Goonies. And then he later makes, he later, some of, one of them later makes reference to uh, a Star Wars where he's like, that's, he's like, he's like, that's, that's not a moon. That's a weapon or something or like the, the the whole Death Star thing. Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's no moon. Yeah. 
I, I read alternate casting for Bill. Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Richard Gere, John Travolta, and Mel Gibson were all considered. And alternate casting for Melissa, Mira Servino was considered. Those are all good. Yeah. I, I feel like Tom Tom Hanks Tom Hanks would have been interesting. Yeah. I would have liked to see that. Kevin, I guess I'm thinking of Kevin Costner now, but this this would have been not that far removed of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. So he, he would have yeah. been still pretty young. Yeah. And John Travolta would have been hot off of his Pulp Fiction resurgence. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I find Bill and I find Bill and Melissa. I I thought they were gonna make Melissa a harder character to like. Yeah. But I actually really I actually really like her. I feel I I feel bad for her by the time the movie is done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, like I I feel like her only role in this movie like was to help provide layman's terms for the audience. Yeah, like, like not only is are they dumbing down like the scientific jargon, but there's also the moment with the F five. You know, oh, oh, let's teach people what an F five is. But all all she does is help show us why Joe is so fucking obsessed. That that's that's it, and to, to educate us as a as a dumb audience. But other than that, she serves no point because she just breaks up with him halfway through it, calls off the engagement. Mm-hmm. She did have some fun moments though. Like I enjoy her taking all the cell phone calls from her patients yeah. in the in the back of the truck. And and every time it's like, I can't talk right now, but then she talks to them for like a couple more minutes. It's like, dude, no. Like I'm in the middle of a tornado. I'll call you back. Yeah. But they did have the uh the one good line of, I gotta go, Julie. We got cows. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I think to your point, like she is more than just like being the layman's term person she's like the person that the audience can most readily identify with yeah like i'm thinking even in the one scene where they're like in the house and the tornado's coming and things are crashing around and she's like freaking out being like i can't do this and blah blah like she's she's kind of like how we would all be in that situation because i think it takes a very special person to be a storm chaser a very special kind of person yeah yeah and i mean on top of the layman's terms i do wonder how much of this stuff like is actually storm chaser isms like you know it's definitely a sidewinder or is sucked zone actually something that (laughs) meteorologists out there use we got a jumper the cone is silent like there's there's all these things where it's like okay i remember the first time i watched backdraft and them trying to teach you all the science about why you don't just bust down a door and so it's like did did I learn something? Was this movie yeah. educational? How dare you make me smarter? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Melissa does really get done dirty in the end when she learns by radio that Bill's not into her anymore. I mean, that that is an absolute amazing pickup of that radio, though, I have to say, with it this argument taking place like 30 feet away and they're being heard over the rain and the wind, (laughs) but clear as a bell. (laughs) But like, I I just don't understand his line too of like, look what you have, Joe, look at what you have. And she says, what do I have? You have me, Joe. Like, I just, I don't understand. Like she gets done really dirty. Like poor Melissa, that this is how you find out. And your only person to console you is Dustin. Yeah. The fucking creepy guy. (laughs) Yeah, I I felt like it didn't because obviously like Joe and Bill get back together weirdly. Yeah, but it's like I I hated that. Mm-hmm. I felt like because you're say you're telling me like if they had never come back, say say Joe had just signed the divorce papers 
and mailed them in like she was supposed to. Yeah. He would have just gone off and married her and been on been on her new life and been been happy, yeah. I guess. So it's just strange that like and I mean, what is the timeline the timeline for this movie is I think one day. Three, I think it's two, one day. I think it's twenty four hours. One day. Yeah. So yeah, so then it's like in in one day, just based on the like Oh, we're going to uh we we got to chase the storm together again. Yeah. They're they're like, "Oh yeah, whatever." And they never really explain exactly what it what it was that caused the rift between Joe and Bill or what was so yeah. severe, but I feel like if you're getting divorced, some like, you know, real shit must have happened and one day of storm chasing is going to heal all that. Yeah, irreconcilable differences is a very popular phrase when it comes to divorces. I mean, the other thing about her or like the two of them getting back together is it seems like Joe is actually pining for Bill still. Yeah. She wears her wedding ring. I, I don't understand the moment when she takes off her class ring and puts it on her wedding ring hand when he first shows up. It was it was a very weird thing. Why are you why are you I I don't I didn't get it. Yeah. Like are you trying to hide that you're still wearing the diamond ring? Just take the diamond ring off. I don't know. But Bill shows no evidence that he is actually pining for her. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, it's very one way. So what makes him turn around out of this happy relationship that he had? Is it just, you know, is this a thrill seeker mentality that I don't understand where it's just I've got more in common with Joe because she likes putting her life in risk all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't get it. But yeah, Joe Harding, of course, played by Helen Hunt. I did read that Laura Dern was a possible alternate casting. Yeah, I, f- I find like, those well, I find those two very like interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, there's Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, just you could swap them both out in both movies. But she does uh, have a couple of sick burns against Melissa and Bill when we first meet her. You know, where she's like, "Oh, not much for browsing, eh?" You know, "Oh, she's a therapist." Yours? You know, it's just like just digging it in. What? Do you remember what kind of therapist she said she was? She's a sex therapist? It's something like that. Yeah, it was a very specific yeah, one, very but specific. I don't Yeah. Let's see if I can look it up. Sorry, she she's a reproductive therapist. Reproductive therapist. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even think that was like a, a niche of therapy. Like it's yeah. just like I, I know there's specialist when it comes to like fertility, but I didn't realize that there was also a psychologist or psychiatrist that went along with it. Yeah, but I guess so. But yeah, so Joe Harding, she she's definitely reckless. I don't understand her. I want to see it. Why does she want to see? Like, is she hoping to see her dad flying around up there or something? Like, why is she so desperate to see into the tornado? Yeah, I don't know. I I also don't understand this warning system. Like, she's trying to get off the ground. Yeah, I guess I guess I don't know what the world in terms of like weather events was like, and I don't remember what it was like in 1996. But yeah, I feel like nowadays there's always like ample warning. Whenever yeah. torn, even in Alberta, where there's always like tornado warnings. Sometimes and that kind there's of stuff. almost and too much warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, like her, her wanting to see it. It reminded me of uh, I don't know. I've never read Moby Dick, but I feel like she has a Moby Dick type relationship with the tornado, where it's like she's look, she's literally looking for the tornado. Like I said before, that killed her father. Yeah, yeah. and she's. <laughs> She's like, I, I know its smell. I know how the wind tasted when when it came. 
Well, and we're dealing with like another 50 year storm uh, situation like we did in Point Break. I mean, all right, it's yeah. like that. That's the thing is, yeah, we're we're just all these tornadoes are supposed to be converging. And it's this this massive thing. So it's like, yes, my father will only return during the 50 year storm. The prophecy has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like how she, like, you know, like, picks on Bill, though, at the beginning. Like, I, I do like the playfulness of them a little bit. Like, even though the love story ends up being unearned. Yeah. It's, you know, like the, you know, when he's driving and it's like, oh, have you lost your nerve? Turn off. Turn off. Right? Or, you know, like, under the bridge, you know. Well, what was it like? Yeah. It was windy. Yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like the scene when she's, uh, after they crash her Jeep. In that in that tr- that ditch or whatever, yeah, and then she and then she's like eyeing up his rental truck, yeah, and, is, and she's just kind of like, hmm, that's a nice truck, yeah, <laughs> and and you can see Bill's kind of like, no, no, yeah. like it's a rental, like, do you have? Or she asks, like, do you have full uh, coverage? Yeah, full coverage on that, or is it, he's like, no liability only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's getting the damage deposit back on that one. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But the the other thing I don't understand about that like they were so they crashed the truck they realized that there's nowhere to go and she's still trying to get the thing off of the truck and it's like no just hop up on the tailgate open the flaps and get the fuck out of there like i don't understand why there's all this you know the the ratchet won't won't work i I can't get it off the truck it's like no that truck is history if that tornado comes here it's history you might as well just open the flaps and hope for the best yeah and they end up having to sacrifice a truck anyway at one point so it's like it would have been the right instinct yeah i mean (laughs) i hate to break it to them but like I don't think the plan when it came to the execution of the Dorothy was fully realized. No. When I mean, kudos to them for developing this thing, but if your deployment method is literally like, we need to get this thing in the path of a tornado, and according to this movie, the tornado can switch direction on a dime, so you basically have to get right next to it. Yep. And I don't know get that the th- fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like- I don't know that that's necessarily the method i would i would like to go for and like waste all these all this stuff i just built yeah i also find it funny the sensors that they use uh-huh because i looking at them and because it's so scientific i i would think that these are like very fragile devices the pokeballs they the just, clear they, pokeballs <laughs> yeah but they just they just spill all over the place and then they just scoop them back up and put them in the tub yeah. again well see now with the idea of like the suction or whatever is going on in a tornado, do you think the round is a better choice or do you think Jonas's cubes are a better choice? Which one would get more wind resistance? Probably the cubes, but would they go as smoothly? Like, I don't know. What's what's the science there? I have to think that like in a tornado it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it's just a it's just a funnel, the wind is gonna go its own way. Anyways, and if the suction is so great, they'll all go up regardless, and they would all spread out regardless. But then, yeah, if if there was something to it, I would think that the balls would be more aerodynamic. I'm just trying to think of like Bernoulli's principle with with flight, how the plane is, how the plane has the rounded edge. Yeah, and that's that's what makes lift. So maybe the maybe the balls being rounder would allow them to lift easier than the cube. Yeah. The cubes the cubes might just get tossed, tossed mm. out. I don't know. Well, 
I mean, really, ultimately, it doesn't matter because they just end up putting little propellers on them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, using using uh using all those tin cans, like they've they've essentially just made a whole bunch of tiny saws when they do that. <laughs> These things yeah. are now lethal weapons. But you know, Colin, all the cans they used, you may have noticed that they were all Pepsi products, and that means it's time for sponsorship corner. Always on the lookout for product placements in movies. This week, Twister is brought to you by Pepsi, Dodge, Chrysler, GMC, Ford, and Jeep vehicles, Nikon, Canon, and Sony cameras, John Deere tractors, Cobra and Quartz radios, Pennzoil, Tostitos, Silicon Graphics, Muskogee State College, University of Oklahoma, although the University of Oklahoma one is actually a dig because they wanted to use the University of Oklahoma's logo on Dorothy, but ended up having to go with Mus- Muskogee State College instead. So it was kind of like, well, we're going to put your thing in the movie anyway. I don't understand how that's mocking them. I, I don't know. <laughs> the movie Psycho, The Shining, and A Star is Born. There's a Judy Garland connection on that one. Plus the fictional companies of Hot Pit Barbecue, Blue Tulip Cafe, which is named for Jan de Bond's production company, Galaxy Drive-In, Cross Oil Company, and Benthic Petroleum, which is the same petroleum company that they use in The Abyss, is the Benthic Petroleum Company. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. Excellent. (laughs) Well, okay, let's meet the rest of the Storm Chaser team. I, I forgot about a bunch of these people being in the movie, too. Like, we've got Dustin played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. I read that Garth Brooks, though, was a possibility to play Dustin. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I can't really imagine him. Garth Brooks seems just so monotone. I can't imagine him being funny. Like that. Yeah, l- like, I know Tim McGraw made kind of a decent move over to movies you know and there's people like yeah. chris christopherson and stuff like that but yeah i don't know about garth brooks let's see we've also got robert rabbit nurek who is played by alan ruck who we spoke about back in ferris bueller's day off we've got jason preacher Rowe, who is played by scott thompson who is in police academy we talked about him back then uh and then like a whole bunch of others i mean they're it, it got to the point when you went when you look at the credits where it's like you've got a guy named joey playing the guy named Joey, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. Like the cast is pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty small cast, all things considered. And they really don't like, I agree with, I don't, I don't remember anybody's names really outside of Jonas, Bill and Joe. Yeah. And then I know Meg, I think was the aunt or her mom or whatever. Yeah. But when it came to the storm chasing team, they all just kind of get glanced over so fast that you don't really even have a chance to take note of their names. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, you've got like some stereotypes. You've got the one wild, crazy guy who's Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman blaring his radio as they go down the the road, and you've got the guy singing Oklahoma. I, I do, I do appreciate though that it's not a whole bunch of sexy people though. Yeah, like they they are very average looking people for the most part, you know. Yeah. But we also, I mean, there is also Dorothy. We can't forget Dorothy. Dorothy is here? Oh, my God. Like, 
<laughs> just ah, oh, uh, the I the leaning into the the Wizard of Oz thing was just it, it got to be a little too much at one point. I think <laughs> I know it got it got to the point that honestly by the end when uh, Joe and Bill are strapped to that that water pipe or whatever and they tor- they go inside the tornado. Yeah, I was half expecting to see a little witch like floating up inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like of course there's the fact that like Joe when she was a kid, I mean, her dog was the same dog that Toto is, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a brown version of Toto, you know. But yeah, when when we first meet the storm chasing group, they're they're like setting up camp, you know, they've got umbrellas out and all this sort of stuff. And then like five minutes later, they're all scrambling to clear it all out to chase a storm. Why were they setting up in the first place? Like, this is the only time in the movie that they actually fully unpack all their shit. Like <laughs> I'm just not quite sure why. Like, is it so that we get the panic cleanup scene? Yeah. You know, even like the music choices that I was just talking about and stuff like that just seems like, you know, like the guy cruising down the highway with Flight of the Valkyries going, like it just feels like this is how they get psyched up, but they don't ever repeat it in the movie. You never, like, (laughs) I wish that every time they were heading somewhere, you had Philip Seymour Hoffman blaring his loudspeaker and everything, you know? Yeah, for sure. You would have thought that, I mean, storm chasing, I feel like, is the type of profession where you kind of have to drop everything and move on a dime. Mm-hmm. So you would never, you would never, I wouldn't anyways expect that they would ever kind of set up a camp outside. I feel like they would always be prepared to go. Yeah. I mean, just like in the diner, right? I mean, it's, it's the same thing, but they're not fully unpacked. Mm-hmm. Poor Meg, when she has to clean up everybody's half eaten steak and eggs, when she, when they go visit yeah. her house. Yeah, I do. I do. I do like the comparison between the storm chasing team and then, like, Carrie Elwes's, Jonas's, yeah. I don't know, they seem almost militarized uh-huh. team. It's a, it's a nice juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because they, they are definitely not as well-funded. And I like how it's, like, just kind of, like, all pieced together for, for their storm chasing. And then we've got Jonas Miller, like you said, played by Carrie Elwes, who we talked about in Princess Bride. Yeah, I mean, they've all got their nice little... Uh, like uh, sirens going and and like they're all in matching vehicles and yeah just precision mm-hmm. i i did read though that christopher mcdonald was someone that was up to play jonas miller and but he had already committed to happy gilmore i want to say thank god but i mean can you imagine shooter mcgavin as the villain in this movie <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, I mean, I can now, but but I can literally only imagine him playing Shooter McGavin. Yeah, <laughs> as that as that role. I did. I, I was I was surprised that Carrie Elwes's his his accent was so good. Yeah. After after just watching him so recently in The Princess Bride, it was like even though it looks like him, he's just he's like really. I never realized how well he he can hop from role to role. Like, he completely seemed like a different person. Well, see, and I've watched an interview with him, and it sounds like he doesn't actually have a very thick accent. I mean, you're the one that's met him. Does he have an accent in real life? Like, it's just not very thick? Yeah, he has an accent. I would say his accent is similar to... Like his actual speaking voice is similar to Wesley, okay. which is which isn't which isn't very. Uh, it's not super super thick. Uh huh. It does seem more kind of like a, a Brit uh, Americanized British, I would say. Yeah. Okay. But to go from that to like this, 
you know, Midwestern. Yeah, he had like the tech, drawl. the drawl. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did read that a lot of his stuff was cut from this movie because they wanted a PG thirteen rating, oh, and most of the stuff that he had would have pushed it to an R. Like, I guess he swore a lot more in the original cut. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I I felt if there was one one piece of the movie that was kind of lacking to me it was that the groups their groups never really came into direct conflict you know what i mean like there was no like sabotaging or it was they were kind of just like racing yeah the whole time to like get their thing deployed but i would i would have liked to see a little bit more conflict like direct conflict between the two yeah like letting the air out of someone's tires or something or yeah i mean maybe there's just the respect in the scientific community i mean there's the one point where bill punches him out oh yeah but but I mean, other than that, you're right. There's there's not really much conflict. But I feel like I kind of like the idea that you've got these two rival teams, but they're still working within the rules of yeah. civilization, of civilized behavior. You know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like that aspect myself. Hmm. I also thought, like, I mean, it's kind of implied the Joe and her group were like that, like, guerrilla storm chasers with very little funding. Like we said, Jonas's group yeah. is the more corporate... I guess, like, funded <laughs> seemingly. I, yeah. I wish they would have played that up a little bit more, too. Yeah. I just, I feel like, I also feel like Carrie Elwes has has the ability to be, like, a massive douchebag. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. feel like they could have leaned into that a little bit more as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do also, like, with the whole rivalry idea, I do love the moment when they come bursting out of the cornfield and almost sideswipe them all. I thought that was a great moment. Oh, yeah. But yeah, with the uh, with the R rating though, like yeah, uh, not only was it swears that were cut, and I did notably notice a moment when Helen Hunt said "fuck," but like they they blurred it out with other sounds so that you couldn't actually hear it, but you can actually oh, really? see her saying "fuck." But they also cut out a lot of the violence. So I mean, mm. maybe maybe in the original cut there was a little bit more of a rivalry between them, more violence, and they decide. I know they cut back on some of the gore that was a result of the storms more than anything. Like, I watched the movie on, on Netflix, obviously. But you know how, like, Netflix, whenever you start it, they show you the rating in the corner or whatever? Yeah. And I laughed every time I saw it because it was... It said PG-13, but then it was, like... Like, the the warning the, the warning on it was, like, depictions of, of bad weather... Yeah. As if that's like, I mean, I guess it could be a trigger, but I thought that was an interesting trigger warning to be like, oh, if anybody's yeah. sensitive to uh, bad weather patterns, you might not want to watch this movie. If you're sensitive to reality, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. My my son is one of those ones. My youngest son is one of those that is, he worries a bit too much about certain things and he shouldn't at eight. Mm-hmm. But I get it, you know. I mean, I, I, I remember being a kid and being, like, deathly afraid of tornadoes. Yeah. Just because I remember, I remember the place where I live, where my stepdad lives, before we moved there. I think it was probably, like, 10 or 15 years before we moved there. They had actually had a tornado that went there and, like, blew a bunch of trees down. And I think, I don't, I don't think it wrecked the house, but it definitely caused some damage on the farm. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the big tornado that we had in Edmonton back in the 80s and yeah. the the house I lived in at the time had like a sunroom like a solarium yeah and I remember my dad and older brother being out there watching the hail coming down and my mom freaking out about we got to get in the basement it's just one of those memories that we didn't know much about it at the time and now it's like Alberta tornadoes are more common nowadays mm-hmm. so 
the other character I like a lot is Aunt Meg, played by Lois Smith. I, I thought she was a fun character. Like, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of wind chimes normally, but I like her almost obsessive collection of these windmill wind chime warning system things that she has going on. The inspiration for the propellers on the yeah. <laughs> on the Dorothy dots. <laughs> But, you know, of course, when the tornado rips through Wakita, hers is the only house left standing. Do you think they should have killed her off, though? <laughs> it would have, like... <laughs> if the tornadoes were sentient, I think she definitely gets killed off because it's like another... <laughs> it's just another... It's another blow to Joe and her and her, her, her revenge story, so I think so. But because, because they're not... I'm fine with her living. Okay. I was very happy that her dog lived as well. <laughs> yeah, just before the house collapses, man that that was a uh, that was cool when that happened. The house just yeah. caves in. This uh, Wakita is a real town, and I guess they bought like eight blocks of houses in the old downtown area for like seven to ten thousand dollars a piece just to demolish them. Oh, nice! Like it's just like okay. Well, right on. Uh, the town has been rebuilt since, and Wakita got to keep the fire truck from that scene. Nice. I thought that was nice. Yeah, a little, I guess, maybe a gift from production. But they did such a good job of making it look so devastating. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the people walking around, like, looking for people, and the, the set direction in that scene was definitely, way to go. Good job, Twister team. You really did it there. Yeah. Let's go from devastation to the real reason we're here, the action and the special effects. And I got to say that for the most part, I thought the effects really hold up. There were a couple, like I'm not I'm not a fan of the inside yeah. the tornado effect. I wasn't a big fan of that one because like their legs were so obviously green screen. Yeah, I, I was very impressed for 1996 yeah. how well the special effects held up, especially like the tornadoes, like when you see them in the distance, I thought for sure they were going to look like too like fake but i thought they actually looked really good the the two that stood out to me the most were at the very beginning of the movie when they show the nssl satellite going over the earth oh yeah yeah yeah. and you can just see like the whole thing is computerized yeah yeah (laughs) i thought that was stood out and then just the uh i think it's when jonas and eddie they get swept up in the tornado and you see their car explode inside oh, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And and it, like you could people can do that effect on their phone now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which was crazy to think. Like <laughs> it probably back in the day cost a good amount of their budget to do that to do that effect. And now and now that's literally the easiest thing you can just download on your phone and do to any video you have. Yeah. Well I I mean I gotta since you brought up Jonas and Eddie's fiery death I do have to say that I felt bad for Eddie oh yeah because like there's the whole exchange where Bill is like on the radio saying you're going the wrong way it's going to turn it's going to turn I mean he is the human barometer after all but you know Eddie is just like he wouldn't actually put us in harm's way like that's where I again I say that I like that they're friendly with each other yeah and there's no real confrontation because like in this sense it's like no they might prank you every once in a while but they're not going to steer you into a tornado eddie was right and poor eddie because of jonas's arrogance i mean jonas's was poetic justice but eddie i mean poor guy he wanted to turn back yeah i was a bit (laughs) caught off guard by that scene to be honest i thought for sure that was going to be eddie's moment of like of like no like i'm gonna do what's right and i'm gonna save your life type thing i did i did not expect him to just be like 
Well, I have to follow orders and just... <laughs> yeah, that would have been die. a perfect moment for slamming on the brakes and having the tornado cross right in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> Phew, missed that by five feet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I was very... Uh, I was impressed. I kept noticing how good the wind was. Like, especially in the... Yeah. I think it's when they do Dorothy number three when they're on the road or maybe four when they're on the road and they have the truck and it's just super windy and they're trying to untie everything and the wind is so good and i i read that they use like some boeing 747 jet engines to simulate the tornado winds i thought that was really cool well yeah and, and and like the hail apparently was an absolute nightmare because there wasn't enough hail or enough ice in Oklahoma to use on the ice machine. Oh, really? But yeah, they're they're actually shooting ice chips at them while they're driving down this road. That that's one of the things that you got to love about this movie is although the special effects are great, it is hard to tell what's practical and what's not because a lot of it is practical. Yeah. Like all the combines jo- jo- dropping in front of them as they're racing down the road, those are all actually being dropped from cranes. The house rolling across in front of them was actually something that was on a rig. Like, so th- those aren't digital, but oh, you know, cool. like the-, the cow obviously is. Yeah, the cow uh, is. <laughs> the-, the-, the cow I read was originally a-, a zebra from Jumanji and they just reworked it to look like a cow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, the practical effects I thought were because I mean that that's kind of the thing. If you didn't have the practical effects, I think the movie even today I don't think you could do this movie without practical effects just because the actual weather component of it is so important. Yeah. It would be difficult to get a, a authentic performance, I think, without it. Mm-hmm. And even in the end there was like the part where like when they're running away from the cornfield and they get to that farm and there's all these wood pieces yeah. flying around. Like you could tell that some of those wood pieces were were just CGI, and they're kind of told to just okay, well, roll here, yeah. you know, duck here, and then we'll just put something in in post. <laughs> I, I read that for the sound of the twister, they took the sound of a camel moan and slowed it down. Oh, yeah. But I also read that the the, the nice. bass was so heavy in the surround channel that this movie was responsible for actually blowing out many theater sound systems. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you've got that wind, you've got that rumble. I, I get it. I get it. But yeah, that, that driving through the house scene, though, I think that has to be one of my favorite moments of that. Because, you know, just the, well, I guess we're going through. And it's like they're driving sideways up the sideways staircase. and Yeah, that was, I, did, I really liked that. But I, I do have to wonder, at the drive-in theater, I mean, we've got the big dramatic, it's coming right for us. Yeah. It's already here. <laughs> but <laughs> do, do all the patrons of the drive-in die? Because really, the only people that end up in that, like, garage, oil change bay, basement area are the storm chasers. But they tell everybody else to get underground. But I don't know if there's any other underground near this drive-in. Yeah. And you, like, hear screaming in the background. Did everybody die except for these storm chasers? Yeah, I mean, because people would have had to run. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking, in a drive-in theater, there's no way people were just driving out because that would have caused a massive traffic jam. Yeah. So people would have had to run. Yeah. I highly doubt it's that easy to outrun a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I totally, totally forgot about the part where Preacher gets hit with the hubcap in the forehead. And 
part of me, maybe because like I've seen too many horror movies, but I felt like his head was going to fall apart. <laughs> like it looked like it looked like one of those cuts across his forehead that all of a sudden it was going to start bleeding more, and then all of a sudden the skull was going to shift to the side, and preacher is dead. You know, <laughs> like like ghost ship, maybe <laughs> ghost yeah. ship with the tow cable. Maybe in the rated R version, <laughs> that's what's happened, but not in the PG thirteen. There you go. But yeah, they're just always in danger, like between hiding under the bridge and getting getting spun on the bridge with those water tornadoes. I, I like how every tornado that we do see in this movie, they decide to do something different with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to see the same old tornado over and over again. That's Joe's job. Yeah. I want to see different. I want to see three water cyclones come together to, <laughs> to spin them on a bridge. <laughs> But, boy, I must say, the whole F5 ending is very exciting to look at, but absolutely batshit if you take a second and a half to think about it. Because, I mean, running from a tornado on foot, yeah, that that goes on for a long time. And through crops? Like, you say you were raised on a farm. Yeah, you could right? not run that fast through a cornfield. Yeah, Okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> like even a wheat field, I don't think you could run that fast no. through. Like, it's just, but they're outrunning it. The ground would be so uneven. It's kind. Of, it would be kind of like running through snow. Like, there's so much resistance. Yeah. That to be able to run through it that fast would be very, very hard. Yeah. Even even in the truck when they push those doors open. Uh huh. Like that would that would be very very hard. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it would have been better to like unroll your window and jump or something, you know. I, I like how they both got the chance to do the stunt though through the back window, climbing into the back. Yeah, you know, at least it wasn't just Bill Paxton that got to do it. Helen Hunt got to do it once too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the chase though leads to arguably one of the best moments when they go into that barn to try to find shelter, and it's got every possible dangerous farm implement you can think of hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, who are these people? <laughs> and it's just all these scythes and, and, you know, and other like sharp, dangerous sickles and pitchforks and everything. Yeah. All the rusty blades you can think of right it's just, there. Just uh, a serial killer's uh, favorite <laughs> toy, toy box. <laughs> toy box. Yeah. But then, you know, the people that come out of the storm shelter afterwards, like they look yeah. just like her parents. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh yeah. They, they don't look crazy, man. Why do you have a murder barn? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they and instead they find that silo with the pipe that goes down 30 feet and then they strap themselves to it with belts and manage to survive without any shrapnel <laughs> yeah. at all hitting them. I mean, yeah, that whole scene, even like I said before, when you see all the stuff flying around as they're running from place to place, I just find it very difficult to believe that you wouldn't get smoked with a two by four some some piece of debris <laughs> or any of those rusty tools yeah, from the barn nearby <laughs> and then it's also odd that it like dissipates right at the moment after it passes them yeah. like coincidental timing yeah you guys are in the clear now but the horses have survived thank god you know and they share one of the ugliest sloppy kisses ever which feels so unearned yeah and then the end right like i mean there we go like twister right yeah that again, their relationship and the fact that they end up getting back together, it was almost it was so off putting to yeah. me. Like it was just I was just surprised that that's the way it, it went. I was like, sure, you guys could have ended with like mutual respect, but this is one of those ones where it's like, <laughs> what happens a week from now? Yeah. 
Like, where, where are you guys at in your relationship a week from now? Or like, <laughs> Yeah, I think of a movie like Speed, where they've got the whole bit at the end where Keanu and Sandra Bullock hook up, and it's, oh, they, they say that relationships that start in high-stress situations never last. And sure enough, he's not there for Speed 2. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, they were right. So, yeah, what happens now? Does he have to go and drop new papers? Because I'm sure she's lost them through all their running through the fields, <laughs> running away from the tornado. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> it would it would have been even more poetic if they if they showed an actual scene where you see the divorce papers get sucked out of the truck into the into the tornado and impaled by some piece of debris and shredded <laughs> to bits as if as if our love will last forever. <laughs> no, it gets sucked out of the truck earlier when Jonas is still gets in the path of the tornado and it meets up at the same time as Jonas and yeah. then the fireball vaporizes them at the same time. Yeah, all obstacles that, have been removed. Yeah. That that's what makes it feel earned at the end. It's like, well, they don't have divorce papers anymore, so yeah. you know, they might as well get back together. <laughs> Sweet. Well, we couldn't leave this podcast without an educational element. And so I was telling Sean before we started recording but this always happens to me with Jurassic Park. Anytime I watch a Jurassic Park movie, my interest in dinosaurs increases tenfold. <laughs> and watching Twister, I couldn't help but become fascinated by tornadoes. So I decided to do some research to, you know, educate educate all our fans about tornadoes. And hopefully, if there is ever a tornado in your area, give you some tips on how to stay safe. Well, let's do this as an extended The More You Know. The More You Know. All right, we'll start with the Fujita scale. So overall, over this entire movie, like we said, the, there's the F5 that shall not be named and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And, you know, people who, who might not know, we didn't have Melissa to... They didn't really explain what, what the Fs are to Melissa, but the F and F5 stands for Fujita. So the Fujita scale is a scale rating for tornadoes that's based primarily on... Uh, the damage that the tornadoes inflict on human-built structures and vegetation. Uh, an F, it goes from F0 to F5. An F0 is anything less than 73 miles per hour with light damage. And an F5 is wind speeds of 261 to 318 miles per hour, which causes incredible damage. Hmm. That's in, like 318 miles per hour is... That's intense. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what ours was back in the 80s. Was it an F4, I think, maybe? Oh, oh that's coming later. Don't you, wor- don't you worry. Oh, okay. I'll let you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so we kind of skipped over it, but at the beginning of the movie, they ta- I don't remember what it stands for, but they have the NSSL, which is this like weather reporting system. And kind of the thing that they've discovered is that there's a bunch of... There's a tornado outbreak that's going to occur in uh, Oklahoma. And so... Tornado outbreaks are the occurrence of multiple tornadoes spawned by the same synoptic scale weather system, and the number of tornadoes required to qualify as an outbreak is typically at least six to ten. And so, I'm talk about a couple like the three the three most significant outbreaks, but I'm going to highlight two of them. So, both of these occurred in Oklahoma, but there was the 2011 super outbreak, which had 216 tornadoes in a 24-hour span, which kind of took place over the southern, midwestern, and northeastern United States and parts of Canada. Like I said, there was 216 tornadoes in a 24-hour span. In total, 
The outbreak had 360 tornadoes, and it led to 324 deaths. And that was between April 25th and April 28th of 2011. The next that and that's the most that's that's the largest outbreak on record. The next one was the 1974 super outbreak. So the 1974 super outbreak had 148 tornadoes in a 24-hour span, but it only had those 148 tornadoes, and it had 315 deaths. Only, only a hundred. Only, yeah, only. <laughs> I mean, the the drop off is pretty steep. After after the 1974 outbreak, there's there was one in 2020, which is the 2020 Easter outbreak. That had 132 tornadoes, with only 32 deaths. I looked up the world's five deadliest tornadoes, and the one, the deadliest tornado ever, was on April 26, 1989. It's the I'm gonna butcher this. It's the Dwala Dwalatpur Satria tornado in Bangladesh. Huh. The storm was about a mile wide and traveled 50 miles through poor areas of the Dhaka region of Bangladesh. So the death toll is estimated at 1,300 people because it it ripped through a slum. Oh. So obviously, in the slums, people are like sleeping on top of huddled people. Close, yeah. Yeah. yeah, huddled closely together. They don't have resources. There's no warning system. Yeah. And then, as Sean highlighted, I just wanted to talk about there was in our hometown of Edmonton in 1987 there was a tornado that has become to be known as Black Friday on July 31st. So it was. It wasn't part of an outbreak because there wasn't 10, but it was one of seven other tornadoes that occurred in central Alberta that day. The tornado peaked at an F4 and remained on the ground for an hour, cutting a swath of destruction 30.8 kilometers in length and up to 1.3 kilometers wide in some places. Killed 27 people and injured more than 300, destroyed more than 300 homes, and caused more than $332.27 million Canadian in property damage at four major disaster sites. This is from Wikipedia. It says the loss of life, injuries, and destruction of property made it the worst natural disaster in Alberta's recent history and one of the worst in Canada's history. Touchdown for an hour. Let's see you outrun that one, Bill and Joe. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> running through cornfields yeah, for only, an hour only, <laughs> only uh only keanu reeves could outrun that as we saw in point break <laughs> when patrick swayze for- throws it at him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> throws the dog <laughs> for anyone interested in knowing how tornadoes form Wind shear is one of the most critical components of the formation of a tornado, which is the change of direction and speed of the wind with height. This can it creates a horizontal spinning effect within a storm cell. The rotating air of an updraft meets the rotating air of a downdraft and creates the iconic and scary funnel that we all know and love or hate. Probably more hate. I I, I am then, wondering whether when uh, these storm systems show up on real Doppler radar, whether it keeps making the pepsi symbol like it did in this movie (laughs) yeah i don't know you think that was just product placement i think so yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then last but not least if you were ever faced with a tornado in your area here are some recommendations from the cdc so tip number one is be prepared you want to make sure you have fresh batteries and a battery operated tv radio or internet enabled device so that you can listen to the emergency weather information You should have a tornado emergency plan in your house and an emergency kit, as well as a list of important information, including telephone numbers. There's a a sub sub note here that says, be sure your children know what a tornado is. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Tip number two, stay aware of weather conditions. 
Weather signs that a tornado may be approaching are a dark or green colored sky, large dark low-lying clouds, large hail, a loud roar that sounds like a freight train, or a, what was it, a camel? Camel, yeah. <laughs> Slowed down camel there mode. Yeah. yeah, so they say if you notice any of these conditions, take cover immediately and keep turned to local radio and TV stations for any weather warnings. And then tip number three is nowhere to shelter. Go to the basement or an inside room without windows on the lowest floor, like a bathroom closet or a center hallway. You want to avoid sheltering in a room with windows. And for added protection, you want to get under something sturdy like a heavy table or workbench. Cover your body with a blanket, sleeping bag, or mattress. And protect your head with anything available. In in, uh, in bold, I should say, it says, do not stay in a mobile home. Because they are magnets for t- tornadoes, is that why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they could be they could be picked up and flung. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that probably makes more sense. <laughs> like like that like that oil tanker <laughs> in the in the movie. Yeah. But there you go. That's the more you know. Right on. <laughs> well, there we go. I feel safer already. I I know. Uh, listening to some of those rules, I remember those were the ones that my mom knew. Yeah. We had a little portable radio down there. We were in the basement, nowhere near the glass. After my mom finished telling off my dad for standing in the sunroom, <laughs> <laughs> which is famously made entirely of glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That's Twister. Now, Colin, on IMDb, it scored a 6.4 out of 10 and has a meta score of 68. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 60% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 58%. But Colin, those are just numbers. Like a flying hubcap to the head. Hit us with some reviews. All right. Rotten Tomatoes super reviewer Bradley W. says, Two out of five stars. Twister is not a good movie, but it was fun to watch. The plot was really boring and dumb, but so are most summer blockbusters like this. The cast was okay. I had no complaints, really, but I guess they did okay. The effects were really cheesy and bad, but if some people like them, that's up to them. <laughs> this movie was fun to watch if you're into these movies, but overall, it bored the hell out of me. <laughs> All I would say to Bradley is, if you're going to write a review like that, what's the point? Like, if you're if the sum of your review is, eh, if people like it, they like it. If people don't like it, they don't like it. Yeah. Then... That's not a really good review. Yeah, might as well just put meh. That yeah, exactly. <laughs> could have saved yourself a whole bunch of time. Yeah. Tiberio S said three out of five stars. No one can be disappointed with Twister if they are coming to a film looking for lots of tornadoes. However, <laughs> they may not have been asking for the corniest possible melodramatic relationship story between it, and that makes this a rare contender for it's so bad. It's good. The Twisters are sheer entertainment and usually come in at just the right point to break up the horribly acted melodrama, which would otherwise be unforgivable. Right from the get-go, the jerk is trying to get a divorce and the sweetheart doesn't want it. And that dynamic lasts the entire film until she eventually wins his heart back, except by that point we think she's pathetic and we don't mind if he gets... (laughs) And we don't mind if he gets twisted away. (laughs) Oh, bad. You know, I don't agree with the acting being melodramatic. The one storyline was unnecessary. But with a disaster movie like this, you kind of want just stereotypes Mm -hmm. in each of the roles. And I think everyone did fairly well with what they were given. I mean, come on, Philip Seymour Hoffman, man. Like he... I, I always think of him as an older guy, and it's so fun to see him as like this like burnout stoner type character. Yeah. That, you know... 
I, I don't think the romance was needed, but I didn't mind the acting itself. Mm-hmm. Joe T says one out of five stars. I was legitimately baffled that Joe wanted in quotes to be with Bill at the end of the movie. Joe was a professor with a all caps doctorate and had a team of research students who brought Bill's all caps idea to reality. She spent her life trying to avenge her father's death, and Bill, in a whirlwind, pun intended, tells her to essentially <laughs> get over it already. Meanwhile, he doesn't go to therapy, and confesses his love for her beca- behind his girlfriend's back. Of course she overhears this and decides to move on from this trash character. Throughout the movie, there is no, and I mean no, sexual chemistry between Bill and Joe, and it is clearly not reciprocated by Joe, who is a hardworking, <laughs> intelligent woman. Bill consistently destroys and derails Doe's research, telling her to leave her, all caps, life's work behind in the storm, destroys Joe's car and puts them in unnecessary danger. There is no logical reason why Joe would want to be back with someone who disregards her safety, her boundaries, <laughs> and lusts after her non-consensually while having a girlfriend. See, and I, I personally have the complete opposite view on yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, me too. But... You know, it's kind of like where you said that you kind of want to go back and watch it thinking of Joe as the protagonist of this movie. And it's the same sort of thing where it's like, well, I guess this person is watching it with some sort of like feminist lens that all she sees is this predator. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, like, yeah. All right. The last one I have is five out of five stars from Google reviewer Eric Gruber, who says... I think the movie was cool because I've been watching tornado shows for five months and I saw this movie and I watched it five times and is still not bored. Watching it is just a really cool movie to watch. Mostly I think a lot of people watches it because they like tornadoes and this movie is a good movie to watch if you like tornadoes. Also, it would be so cool if you guys make a Twister 2. I will watch it eight times a day. The movie also inspired me to be a storm chaser when I grow up. I've been watching YouTube videos, and I still do, but I also watch Twister. It really helps me become a good storm chaser for when I grow up. The last reason why this movie is full of action, all the Twisters are full with action, and all the storm chaser stuff, they are just filled with action too. I find the movie cool to watch, and you should try to watch it too. What year was that, uh review written in uh it's from five months ago oh so that person doesn't realize that there is actually a twister too oh i didn't realize there's a <laughs> twister too <laughs> yeah it's like it, it was a it was like a made for tv movie it's like it's called twister 2 the terror continues and like the the <laughs> can can you see that on your screen look how terrible that poster looks yeah that doesn't even look that's is that's a real that's what it says yeah it got a 4.1 on imdb and 54 percent on rotten tomatoes who's who's in it sharon lawrence mark paul gossler corbin bernson so there we go there's carl lewis this this can't be the uh it seems it's Oh, it is! Oh my god, it is actually! I was gonna say, it can't possibly be the track athlete Carl Lewis, but it is! Oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, it was made for TBS back in 2002. It seems to be, like, not, uh, what's the word? It's, like, not canonical, because I'm just looking at a bunch of, uh, well, there's, like, some articles from, like, 2020 and 2021 that are like oh twister 2 isn't happening 
but a Twister reboot is. So I feel like, does anybody know that this Twister 2 happened? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know firsthand. I can say that much. Oh, here we go. Somebody does. Surprise, AV Club. AV Club has surprise. Twister 2 already exists. And apparently it has the bl- the best plot summary. Let's see. Let's see if we can find... Well, at least knowing that Carl Lewis is in it, that's someone that should be able to outrun a Twister. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking up. Oh. <laughs> Twister Twister 2, the, the, the IMDb page for Twister 2, The Terror Continues. It says it's a documentary... And then it, it says footage of real tornadoes without any coherent story. But this seems like a different... That's the Twister 2 that... Because <laughs> that makes it sound like... If, if those are actors in it, that makes it sound like it's like the Blair Witch. It's like a found footage type movie. Cloverfield or something, you know? Yeah, I'm confused. Like, <laughs> So on Google, when I put Twister 2, they have the one with like Mark Sharon Lawrence, Mark Paul Gossler, Carl Lewis, is a movie called Atomic Twister. Okay. What is Atomic Twister about? Down the rabbit hole. <laughs> See, and I thought I went overboard by bringing up Tornado starring Bruce Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> Ato- Atomic Twister. The staff of a nuclear reactor must struggle to avert a disaster when tornadoes cause damage that threatens to start a meltdown. <laughs> there's, there's, poten- okay. there's potential there. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if you can have a Sharknado, you can have anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right on. So, yeah, uh, 6.4 and 68 from IMDb and 60%, 58% from Rotten Tomatoes. Colin, it's your first viewing of this movie. What do you think of Twister? Hmm. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's a great. Yeah. I, I can definitely see if you watch it in 1996, it was probably awesome. It seems like one of those movies. Mm-hmm. I thought... The plot was lacking. I would I would probably fall in the Rotten Tomatoes area of, like, uh, I'd maybe go a little bit higher. Like, I'd probably give it, like, a 60%. Yeah. I think, like, I, I just think there was, they could have added a little bit more, like, fleshed out the storm chasing team. Yeah. Had a little bit more, had some, like, higher stakes than just, like, oh, we need to get this contraption into a tornado. Mm-hmm. And then again, I thought the love story was a little too forced. It was almost like they decided, oh, hey, like halfway through production, wouldn't it be cool if these guys actually got together? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, because there is so much focus on just the storm aspect. Mm -hmm. It's, It's cool to watch, and it really gives you a sense of what nature is capable of and and the awesome power of something like this. But, I mean, I'm also there to watch a movie, and I want story with interesting characters and story that makes sense with interesting characters and yeah you're right if they had fleshed out the rivalry a bit more even though i don't think it necessarily needed to be an angry rivalry but uh, there definitely was potential to have more stuff there between the two different storm chaser teams and having Mm -hmm. having a bit more focus on some of those side characters instead of this front and center story with you know the love triangle of joe bill and melissa i mean yeah, take out the love story and put in a different interesting story in there and it's something that would be more solid, but it's fun to watch. It's a mindless I even though maybe I learned something, I don't know. Yeah. But it's it's still just it's it's a fun popcorn movie and Oh yeah. I enjoyed watching it, but don't dig too deep into the story and I mean, I'm kind of in the same 60% range myself is I don't think it needs to go higher than that, but I wouldn't say don't watch it. Yeah, no. 
I definitely, I think it's a good theater movie. Like, if they ever put this movie back in theaters, I'd be tempted to go watch it in the theater with the surround sound yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that would be mm-hmm. fun. Absolutely. As long as it doesn't, like, blow out all the speakers. Yeah, blow your eardrums out. <laughs> or what was it? Die Hard. Or was it Die Hard or Lethal Weapon that blow you through the back of the theater was the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. That's our by request episode featuring Twister for Cameron J. And that's our show for this week. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is just tell your friends, share our posts. Word of mouth is so important for a podcast trying to get noticed and trying to build from nothing. We don't have millions of fans like someone like Conan O'Brien. So (laughs) we need everybody... (laughs) <laughs> what? I was just, you know, like in Corner Gas, whenever they say Wollerton, everybody spits. Oh. So I was just, I was just <laughs> spitting, spitting on Conan O'Brien. <laughs> so we need everybody listening to our show to tell a friend. And eventually we'll have more followers than some of those other podcasts. And we will be mighty as a family, all of us together. Or if you want to go above and beyond and help us out, go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcast on and give us five stars. Just give us a review. It doesn't matter what you say because it's not for our egos. But give us those five stars. Help drive us up the charts and help us get noticed. And be sure to check out our website, www.iustolikethisone.com. There you can find links to all of our podcast episodes as well as our social media. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. Please go on there. Give us some likes. Give us some comments. Give us some shares. Tell us what you think of the show. You can also email us at I used to like this one, all one word, at gmail.com. Drop us a line and let us know what movies you used to like. And then maybe you'll find us talking about them on the show. And if you would like to donate to us and be a producer of the show, just like executive producer Joshua Blum, you can go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one and become part of our Patreon family. I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells, music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thank you for listening, and join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I Used to Like This One.